One year ago at this time, Lorehaven went all digital. New articles every month, new podcasts on Tuesdays, new reviews on Fridays, plus news updates and other resources to help Christian fans explore fantastical stories for God's glory. Today, we are exploring which stories made the biggest impact on you and catch up with the authors of those stories who react to your reactions. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply the meanings of these fantasy, science fiction, and beyond to the real world that our author, Jesus, calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. I'm the publisher of Lorehaven, as well as the co-author of a nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and we are coming to you live from 2022, or as many people call it, 2022, the sequel. And this is episode 94. What top 10 Lorehaven stories did fans favor in 2021? So which of us still has Christmas decorations posted throughout <laughs> the house? Uh, we do. Yeah. We, in fact, Same. we're having a, uh, a late virtual Christmas with one of our relatives that we couldn't see over Christmas because of sickness. Um, actually, not COVID sickness, just the normal kind. So we said, until we open our the last round of presents, the tree is staying up. I think it's the Episcopalians or the Anglicans or whomever handles these sorts of things. Uh, I think my headcanon is that they have declared an extended edition for Epiphany. <laughs> As we mentioned in our last episode, uh, the 12th day of Christmas, yes, the original inspiration for that song, uh, would have been this past Thursday, January the 6th, which is the 12th day of Christmas, uh, the celebration of Christ's nativity. Um, let's just say that that goes on for another week or so, especially if your house has been uh, inf uh, affected not by Christmas decorations, but by a certain disease that's still going on. Christ may have come, but uh, there's still some cleanup to do in terms of the uh, the plagues and pestilences that are going on in our groaning world. You know, I've never understood why the Epiphany Day or Day of Epiphany, whatever it's called, is after Christmas, because it's about the wise men discovering the star, right? So, I believe I, so. I, yeah, I, I need to get educated about this because I've been hearing a lot of talk about it this year. Of course, it coincides with another political thing we won't go into. So, hey, it's great to talk about Epiphany Day instead for that day. I much prefer Christ the King ruling instead of anybody else who thinks <laughs> they ought to be ruling. Yeah, but I, you know, I love the idea of celebrating the wise men following the star. I mean, because what a wild story when you think about it. What a supernatural thing to have happened and that caught the attention of these three guys. And then you wonder, what about everyone else? Weren't, wasn't everyone else seeing the star? Like, what, what were they thinking? Why weren't they following it? Um, so it is a very special thing that these three question mark wise men followed this astronomical event. We must like the wise men narrative because our first episode of Fantastical Truth was literally about that very subject uh, way back in episode one in January of 2020. By the way, we are coming up on our 100th episode, uh, which should arrive next month, February of 2022, the sequel. And we've been talking to some very special guests uh, that will be appearing on the episodes with us. So you want to look forward to that by subscribing to Fantastical Truth if you have not already. Also, if you want to correct us about the exact origin or purpose of Epiphany and such like, always contact us uh, at Lorehaven. You can email a uh, podcast at lorehaven.com or find us on the social media but that also leads me to our first sponsor for this episode us 
We're going to take a slot for ourselves this time. It's a Christmas gift to me. I'm so happy. It's the uh, Lorehaven Guild, of course. We've had much to say about the Lorehaven Guild, the new Discord server. Invitation only for Lorehaven subscribers. And today, as we record, Saturday, January the 8th, we have started our first book quest. We're going to have book quests at least once every month, kind of like a book club, except much more fantastic oriented. Little uh, little light role play there, uh, kind of a gaming type element as we read through the chapters of this book and discuss it amongst ourselves. Of course, being us, uh, because we were but children when we decided to find Christian fantasy by accepting Aslan as our lion and savior, our first selection is C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The skill level for this quest is uh, it's recommended for readers age 13 and older. It, of course, is a classic fairy tale uh, from one of the most brilliant creative minds in all Christendom. The rewards, we like to say, are 1,950 XP, and maybe we'll throw in four ounces of non-enchanted Turkish delight. Zach, I'm actually uh, training myself uh, to be our first uh, quest guide here uh, in the Lorehaven Guild. Here's the description for this one. For our inaugural Lorehaven Guild quest, we've chosen a title most of our new heroes already know, own, and love. If you haven't read the title since childhood, now is a great time to discover how C.S. Lewis's magical lion of literature will look bigger even as you grow. Beware, this is not a tame story, but it is good. We actually started exploring chapter one and the book's purpose as a whole today, but it's not too late to join if you haven't gotten into the Lorehaven Guild already. All you need to do is sign up free, subscribe at lorehaven.com, put in your email address in the pop-up, and then we will send you the invite to the Lorehaven Guild. Yeah, I'm so encouraged to see already 90 people, 90 heroes on our Discord server uh, and coming in for the discussions on Line Witch in the Wardrobe. Just what a great thing to see. Um, you know, people gather online for all kinds of things, but it, it's really just encouraging to see this much interest in Christian fantasy and novels and reading, uh, reading books and not just reading tweets and stuff like that. So uh, way to go, everyone that's already joined. This is going to be awesome. I, I can't wait to get into this discussion. And uh, Stephen, it's, there's already a lot of responses to your question about chapter one. And so, man, it is really taken off. There's also virtual tea and scones and omelets and crumpets and things, whatever it is they have over in England or in Narnia for breakfast or for afternoon tea time. Lots of uh, fun imagination going on there. One other thing, too, uh, this isn't going to be one of those highfalutin literary guilds, you know, where you stop by and just talk about classic works of Christian fantasy where all the authors are safely dead. We're also going to move later on into books by newer authors uh, that have actually been recently published. So uh, this is going to be a guild where we find the best, as at Lorehaven, we find the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, explore these stories in quest fashion, and then often we will have appearances from the authors who are still around, still making stories, and would love to connect with their readers. All right, let's go into our top 10 list. Number 10 is an article by Josiah DeGraff titled, Christians Can't Consistently Blame Leftist Fiction While Pushing Our Own Propaganda. Very, this is a great title. I mean, it, it just says the whole point right there. It just does what it says on the tin. This was a great article from Josiah. And by the way, we're going through the top 10 list here. Everything we've published at Lorehaven during the year of 2021, we're doing this in reverse order. Uh, so with a title like that and with the subject, the way that Josiah explored it, uh, you couldn't help but get onto the top 10 list. Uh, these are the money quotes that start off Josiah's article. Quote, 
you can hear these complaints cross the Christian interwebs. So-and-so author has ruined his stories by becoming too woke. The LGBTQ plus lobby is ruining stories. Why can't people just focus on good stories without politics, like they used to? We've heard complaints about secular storytelling before. Just look at the Disney boycotts back in the 1990s. Today, some particular controversies in language are different. For example, we say canceling instead of boycotting. The underlying question is the same. Should we read or watch stories with secular themes? A new wave of Christian or Christian-adjacent pundits are answering no. They may not all demand to cancel shows, but they do prefer keeping them out of their lives. End quote. That was from the original article. I actually reached out to Josiah to ask him about what he thought regarding the responses to this article. Lots of engagement, as you can imagine, Zach. And in fact, you may remember, you and I actually did a podcast episode or two bouncing off of what Josiah wrote. Here's what he said after this piece. Quote, apart from reiterating that I'm not talking to authors, nor am I dealing with explicit elements, one thought I have as I reflect on that article and its responses is that this is likely going to become more and more of a challenge for Christians to deal with as Christian influences continue to wane in the West. Unless we just retreat into enclaves, a la the Benedict option, we're going to have to deal with fiction containing hostile messages and have a realistic game plan for how much of it we should be consuming, and more importantly, how we are consuming it and encouraging others to do so. One might argue that mimicking a certain Duke Leto by being noble and yet cunning in our consumption in response to pop culture can give us a path forward. End quote. He's referring there to his next couple of articles, actually his last two of 2021. Also a great series about the, uh, the hero of Dune. Uh, he may suffer a spoilerific fate we won't get into here, uh, but I agree with him and he articulated very well in this two-part series that Duke Leto's character uh, in the movie, but certainly much more in the book Dune by Frank Herbert, uh, just incidentally forms a, a model for Christians to follow. Duke Leto is both innocent as a dove, he, he is noble, as Josiah says, and yet he also demonstrates a certain shrewdness. And I agree that this is a great model for Christians to imitate as we try to engage with the hostile desert planet uh, that we've been called to serve uh, on behalf of a much better emperor who won't try to get us and our whole family killed. Yeah, this is a question I think about all the time because I am already kind of by nature unplugged from a lot of just popular entertainment. <laughs> People ask me all the time, what's on your Spotify playlist? And I'm like, uh, it's mostly soundtracks like Interstellar <laughs> or just instrumental music. Like That's why you and I are on a podcast together. Yeah, I, I don't really know any of the top 20 Billboard it's either secular or Christian. I'm just, I don't know. For some reason, I just don't keep up with it. it it's nothing snobby. It's just, I like to mostly listen to instrumental yeah, same. music. Well, you can get more done for one thing. And I mean, just you and I are in a, um, obviously a much tighter subcultural bubble than even the evangelical CCM uh, uh, wow <laughs> hits uh, from the 1990s. Like my <laughs> wife literally has caught me up on a lot of those bands. Uh, it feels like being exposed to a broader subculture, even though it was it was kind of narrow, at least as people yeah. perceived it back then. I mean, I definitely had my jaunts through all of this. Okay, like uh, in, in in as well as television and movies and in other popular books and things like that. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm getting cranky. And so I'm kind of like, get off my lawn at times. But um, w where I'm really focusing on uh, applying what I've learned from Josiah's articles is with my kids. 
So I've got a kid now in middle school and a kid now in high school. And I was so proud one day, Stephen, of my middle schooler because she came home and said, all these kids are talking about this YouTuber and it's just YouTuber this, YouTuber that. At least and it's I've... YouTuber and not TikToker. <laughs> YouTube right, she, is classic, you know, reject modernity and base tradition. YouTube <laughs> is tradition now. TikTok is right. modernity. Oh man. And, and she just had no clue, but you know what? She was blissfully unaware. Like she really didn't care. And she's like, she's going to grow ca- up and hate you for it yeah. later. Right. Right. It's going to reject Jesus. <laughs> you didn't let her watch YouTube. <laughs> Ex-evangelical. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is they can watch YouTube. It's I don't block it on their devices, but nope. they just, no, they don't. don't care to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, that's, so she, that's awesome. So then, but she turned around and said, well, do any of you read? And so she brought, she started bringing books that she's reading to class and is trying to start little book discussions. And, uh, oh, that's I love fabulous. it. And, and she's even, you know, and, and she's not a, uh, antisocial kid or anything like that. Like she, in fact, she started a group message with all the girls in her class and she wanted to just stay in touch with them. You know, right now they're going to school in person, but at any moment, I feel like the rug is going to get yanked away. And so I just love the initiative she took. And in my high schooler, she did something similar. She's, she tried to start a book club. It, it sort of took off, sort of didn't take off. It, it, some, some of the kids switched to different schools. So that made it kind of tricky, but, um, you know, they're, they're kind of living in that balance of like, they're not really getting into all the worldly stuff their peers are, but at the same time, they are engaging their peers with good stories. And I, I, I think they're just killing it. They're doing such a great job. That's awesome. And uh, props to you and your wife for some uh, excellent uh, A-level parenting there. I must say that if perchance uh, she continues to find limited success with a real-life book club, I did hear that there's a thing on Discord going on called the Lorehaven Guild, and the age limit there is 13 <laughs> and older. Okay. Literally, why not? Maybe. You know, bring them in, get them a username. Uh, we will start assigning them XP either with imagination or with some <laughs> plugin we get for the app. That is, of course, one great way uh, to practice your nobility and your shrewdness. Read great books and don't read them just by yourself. Read them in community. Lorehaven focuses on Christian-made fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond. But of course, a novel like Dune or many other stories, even in the old bad popular culture can help you with this godly mission should you enjoy these stories with delight and discernment. Uh, that's what Lorehaven hopes to train you to do, and Josiah's article is part of that. So I'm glad it made the top 10. Let's move on then to uh, number nine on this list, uh, again, going in, the, in, in that uh, order there. The, uh, actually, this is not an article. Zach, this is a page, a page on the Lorehaven site. It's, uh, it's the Lorehaven Gifts page. That's where we have all our merch. So this is not a sponsor slot. Uh, it just happened that this thing came up as, uh, as the ninth most popular page on the Lorehaven.com website throughout 2021. Uh, we actually came up with these gifts back when we were still doing our uh, print magazines for Lorehaven. We'll explain a little bit more about those print magazines and what's going on with those later in this episode. But we still have the Lorehaven gifts, including these five exclusive designed T-shirts uh, from uh, from Wind Design Company. Uh, Zach, you're actually wearing one of those, I think, right now. Uh, I believe it is. Uh, no, no, it's no, just that, the OG that's the one with, just the, with the OG yeah. Lorehaven shirt. Yeah, I have uh, I have two of those shirts uh, in the washing machine right now, so I'm actually wearing my All Might shirt, which is not the not a Lorehaven uh, merch. That is another fandom. Here's the quick description from the Lorehaven gifts page. We'll of course have all these links in the show notes kind of goes without saying but i'll say it anyway here's what this lorehaven gifts page says quote 
Lorehaven offers these fantastic gift options for Christian fantasy fans, including five exclusive wearable designs. Revenue support the mission of Lorehaven, paying reviews, designers, and editors. You can find each wearable design in other forms, hoodie t-shirts, v-neck t-shirts, and long sleeve t-shirts. See the full online store. Also note for t-shirts, women's sizes in particular skew smaller. Order one size over the size you would usually choose. End quote. Uh, all those, I think, come from third-party vendors, and they're available through Amazon. So you're supporting the Borg just a little bit, you know, just a <laughs> few micro-assimilations. You know, we may change that in the future, but frankly, that's the best option we can find right now. Oh, and the t-shirts are really cozy. Like, I, I, I will wear a branded t-shirt out of some kind of obligation, but not as often as I would if it was actually a soft, uh, comfortable daily wear fabric and i can say from much firsthand experience that the lorehaven t-shirts fulfill that goal oh yeah i i've totally switched to the whole cotton poly blend shirts because number one they don't shrink which i'm a tall fella and uh shrinking t-shirts uh are, are kind of my mortal enemy right now and so uh yeah these don't shrink they're super comfortable and uh look i don't need to sell it anymore it's merch go check it out but let me let me say this i would love to see pictures y'all take of you the listener wearing these shirts like we would love to retweet them reshare them whatever um, in fact i think that's how we originally met lg mccary was uh she found us and she found one of the shirts and she loved it and we're like hey cool and that, that just started a conversation and a friendship with her so uh, share those selfies. We, we would love to see them, um, and we'd love to connect with you that way, too. Well, bouncing off that, particularly the T-shirt that says uh, he's not a tame lion, he's not safe, but he is good. Uh, that'd be a great way to celebrate the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe uh, in a season where, for many people, it's uh, always winter, but we just had Christmas. That's one of my favorite shirts. It's, uh, it's one of the ones that I own. So, yeah, if you find that one. Post a photo of it. We'd love to see that. And we might share that in our increasingly popular Instagram page managed by LG McCary, by the way, uh, who's not only an author in her own right, but a Lorehaven fan. And she was such a fan that uh, either fortunately or unfortunately, she got recruited. All right. Number eight. This was a podcast episode. How should Christians discern the chosen in other biblical fiction? And this was uh, episode 28. So this was quite a while ago. This yeah, this is, is the uh, 2020 of, episode. Middle yeah. of 2020, yeah. So it's an older page <laughs> and just represents uh, the fact that we have a lot of material about The Chosen. It actually appears uh, a little bit later on this list as well. Uh, we're actually, uh, Zach, we're actually doing the uh, uh, kind of the top, we'll probably do like the top podcast episodes we approach that 100th episode. But this was the page for that episode uh, at, at, the, at Lower Haven. Yeah, so it it's cool that this is still showing up and and people are checking out this episode. I mean, they're they're kind of navigating through our website and finding what we had to say about the chosen. Um, our family loves the chosen. We've watched it a lot. In fact, the season two just released on uh, iTunes, and so I I snatched that up, and so now we can watch it anytime we want. Um, I mean, the app is great where you can watch it for free just makes it a little bit challenging on the on the televisions we have sometimes so um just something I, i've come across recently is i've been in a few conversations very recently where people haven't really understood the point of the chosen and and they've sort of been a little bit skeptical about it because they're saying well it's not the bible you know and I find that kind of comment so interesting because number one i know from everything dallas jenkins has said he loves the bible 
And if you, and if you start paying attention to this, like, uh, this through line in the series, you, you notice how they, you'll see the characters writing down Jesus words and they're literally writing the Bible. I love those bits, the little yeah. Easter eggs bit there about, about the yeah. human side of the divine inspiration process. You realize that they, they were doing it all along. You know, John is lurking in the background of Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus on the rooftop by night and he's taking notes, you know, and mm-hmm. every once in a while it's, it's like, you know, it's like a prequel series. It's like, oh, that's how he finally got the thing that you yeah. see in his car in the later movie. But in this case, yeah, it's a, it's more than a nod toward that divine inspiration process. You you feel if you know where to look, uh, you see and feel as well as know that divine inspiration for the future written word of God is going on all the time during Christ's ministry on earth. Yeah, and uh you know, I was just in uh, Washington, D.C. after Christmas, and I went to the Museum of the Bible. And man, that was so cool because there was a partial, you know, fragment of uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls there. There was a partial fragment of John's Gospel, like one of the earliest manuscripts of that. Um, there was an entire King James Bible first edition. Um, now, I'm not a big King James guy, but that's still pretty awesome. Like, uh, and then quite a few other artifacts uh, related to the Bible's history. And that place is like six or seven floors. Like, it's gigantic. Um, and so, you know, and the way that that really encouraged me to get in my get re- more reading in my Bible. So my family and I just um, uh, pulled the trigger on a on a two year Bible reading plan through the whole Bible, and. Um, you know, it, uh, and I got that same feeling when I watched the chosen, like it really reinvigorated my desire and my love for the Bible. So, so first of all, I find it strange when people say, oh, it's not the Bible, but, but second of all, I I think it's just a misunderstanding of what the chosen is. The chosen is not a portrayal of the Bible. (laughs) Like it's a portrayal of everything that happens in between or, or outside of the text. And it's just, they're just imagining what might've happened, like what might've led to the miraculous catch of fish. Like what's the backstory? And you know, none of this is on the level of like, this is a new canon that all Christians should agree on. Like, it's just a, it's just a, what if, and I, I think it, um, the, the hesitation I found in some recent conversations towards the series, I, I think it just, it, it comes out of that cautiousness of, seeing how the Bible is getting twisted a lot in society and, and, and redefined. And man, you don't have to go very far on social media to find this. And so I, I think that there is a good instinct there that, hey, we don't want to put words in God's mouth. We don't want to change the Bible. We don't want to twist the scriptures. But uh, I will absolutely defend the chosen, and they're not doing that. <laughs> and so you just have to understand what it is they are doing and then it's it really becomes a, a wonderful thing to enjoy together. I agree with that. And and uh, creator showrunner Dallas Jenkins, at his best, uh, is not only helping put together a great show on its own merit, but one thing I've very much appreciated about the marketing for the show is uh, Jenkins and others are not just sitting back going, well, if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, then here's the door. Uh, they're also telling the story at the same time about the chosen, not just, oh, this is so special. You know, here's the behind the scenes. Here's the actors. Here's how we strive for authenticity. They are making efforts to educate their fans and educate their critics or the skeptical about what the show is, what its purpose is, how it's different from the scripture, all of that stuff. He is empathizing with the skeptics and empathizing with fans who have questions. And I don't think I've ever seen him 
uh, or the support for the show uh, throw out those you know, those skepticisms with, well, you know, you obviously just don't get it. You know, you guess you can't be in the fandom. And that's just the kind of approach that I think Christian creatives need to have. If someone is of good faith, but they're uncertain about the purpose or nature of the genre or the story, don't throw them out. Don't be a legalist about it. Uh, help them to understand. And in this case, it really is about understanding not just the point of the chosen uh, or a multi-season series about the lives of Christ followers and you know seeing Jesus through their eyes. Uh, it's also about them understanding the purpose of biblical fiction in the first place. And we'll actually get to that in just a little bit here uh, with number six on this list. Yeah, I jumped ahead a little bit there. but Well, uh, it, I mean, The Chosen yeah. is, is, I mean, okay, so is it fantastical fiction? Like, well, mm -hmm. no more than any other biblical fiction. You know, we're not writing a lot of articles at Laura Haven about Ben-Hur, but I still view it as a cousin genre because you're going back into this time of miracles and God's more overt work in the world, you know, this absolute climax of the biblical gospel narrative with Jesus as the hero and the hero, capital H, on the scene, uh, it can't help but be fantastical uh, almost as much as a story with spaceships or dragons or spaceships with dragons. Yeah. Watch out for those because uh, not only will they shoot lasers at you, they will breathe fire. But how does that work in outer space? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, just breathe fire for very short times, if at all, <laughs> uh, which doesn't naturally lead uh, to uh, number seven on this top 10 Lorehaven stories list that fans favorite in 2021. This actually is Zachary Russell's article. Uh, I think this may have been the first one of the of the of the years, Zach. Uh, you did a story, uh, actually a series called Let's Terraform the Internet, kind of starting a little nostalgic here, uh, but then uh, segueing into a more general applied philosophy of how how people are supposed to uh you know, not to look back on the internet, man, why can it be more like that? Uh, but also look at some of the technologies today and how those are changing our personal cultures, our, us as individuals, our families, and the world. Here's the quote from your first article, Marvel with me at the internet's origin story. Quote, once upon a time, we had fun going to the internet. It was a magical world in a far off place full of wonders. But then giants invaded and took over the land, wielding powerful algorithms. Cybernetic zombies spawned and assimilated people into ever-growing factions and armies. Now our once beautiful digital realm has the hallmarks of a hellish battlefield. Even worse, the barrier between our world and this newly polluted cyber world weakened and tore. The giants and zombies threatened to consume everything else we love. End quote. It's actually a very positive series. That's very positive toward technology. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a regular Thomas Kincaid world of of zombies and and cyber armies. It's been such a strange thing in my lifetime to see the internet go from something everyone loved to check out, or maybe it was a little intimidating, or maybe it was a little geeky, but it was kind of like yeah, is otherwise harmless. To now this like battlefield. And, and people talk about the, you know, the toxic side of internet or fandom or social media or whatever. And it just really got me thinking like, what exactly has changed and what is, what are the dynamics going on right now that make this so, just a tragic experience for a lot of people. I recently ran across an article by Megan Basham, if that's how you say your name, from the Daily Wire. And she wrote about the, uh, this whole incident with um, Dave Chappelle and Patton Oswalt where they were friends and then he, Patton Oswalt posted a photo of them together and then he got all this hate mail and so he basically disowned Dave Chappelle. And I, I won't go into all the details of that, but 
what Megan focuses on is that, you know, this is like a cult that Patton Oswalt is in, uh, that he is in a very dysfunctional relationship with these people sending him hate, not just hate mail, but basically instructions about what he should do. And a lot of these people are just randos on the internet. Like these aren't like other friends or mutual friends. They're like, Hey, you should, you know, stay away from this Dave guy, like blah, blah, blah. It's just these random people with very strong and, you know, vitriolic opinions. And she makes this quote at the end because the the greatest tragedy of cults is and always has been how they fracture real community in exchange for counterfeits. And I totally agreed with this. And I said, you know, this is exactly what this whole metaverse thing is is going to create. It's going to create an entirely counterfeit community uh, because once you identify with these online avatars, like your own or, or whether it's other people, and that becomes your primary source of identity, it's just going to decay and just disrupt the normal kinds of relationships we have. And, and so, but again, I started thinking, well, it wasn't that way in the early days of the internet. Like the internet was so fun. That was a novelty for one thing. Yeah, because it was an extension of friendships. It wasn't the basis of relationships. And I think that's the biggest thing that's changed. Or when I say it's the basis for relationships, it's often the basis of things that people hate about the world. <laughs> and that's how they're using the internet. Now, by contrast, what we're doing with the Lorehaven Guild, it's exactly what I'd hoped for when I wrote these articles, is that we would once again use the internet in fun ways and in positive ways where we are trying to build a positive community and not just, you know, use it as a weapon against other people. I would not be surprised if this series and our conversations about it figured ever so subtly into the guild's origin story, because if I think about it, you know, maybe I'm retconning my own perspective here. But when I think about it, I remember you know, my best experience with the Internet was probably with the uh, with the fan forums uh, back in the uh, in the early 2000s and even the late 90s. Uh, starting off with the, there was actually a Left Behind series fan forum uh, hosted by the publisher Tyndale House, uh, and then there is a uh, a non official fan forum called Narnia Web that started up, especially after they announced uh, that Walden Media was going to develop uh, the first book into a movie. Uh, I literally met my wife on Narnia Web and many other friends, including several who are involved with uh, Lorehaven, uh, such as uh, Elijah David, who's uh, kind of a, a still working with Lorehaven a lot. And he's uh, he's now active in the guild. And I'm using my old username actually from Narnia Web, Dr. Elwin Ransom. Uh, my wife, uh, for old times sake, is using her username. So we're kind of hearkening back, you know, not just trying to recapture the glory days, but trying to get the best glories from those days and translate them into the 21st century. You know, uh, the the not aptly named platform Discord is a great way to do that. <laughs> like, it's the one thing I don't like about it is the name. Yeah. We don't right. want Discord here. There's enough of that on the internet. So maybe the makers of this app, uh, you know, have their tongues put into their cheeks uh, in naming the app because, um, I mean, we're only a week old uh, having opened the Lorehaven Guild uh, to uh, free Lorehaven subscribers. Uh, but so far, uh, we haven't had a lot of Discord. Of course, we also have a multi-point code of honor that applies to everyone in the guild uh, and the Lorehaven Sacred Scrolls Faith Statement uh, that applies to everyone leading the guild. So that may help uh, turn Discord into some semblance of virtual unity. I think it's the origin story of Discord that actually makes it a great platform because it was built around gaming. Like it's built around people having fun together and enjoying an activity, you know, it's not just built around arguing with strangers on the internet, you know, 
it has a purpose. But the other thing too, is that our guild has limits. You know, you mentioned the code of honor and a a lot of that is based on our sacred scrolls, like basically our faith statement and our code of conduct. And I think it's having those limits, you know, not, not only just the focus of the discord server, which is we're, we're focusing on books as readers, but we also have these limits about how we're going to talk to, to one another and what the purpose of this community is. It's those limits that actually make a thing stronger. I, I think it's the unlimited nature sometimes of the metaverse or social media that make it so, uh, that, that just lead to all this trouble. Um, because there, there is some, you know, uh, we're, I'm reading this now in Andy Crouch's book, Culture Making. And he makes this point that it's the order and the, the limits of creation that actually make uh, things stronger and in, 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 in your own creativity, it's like you need those things. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic about where this is headed. Yeah. Lewis himself, uh, obviously the author of the line, the witch in a wardrobe shared his creative process in creating that. And we actually had a whole fantastical truth episode about that. The exact number escapes me now, but he was talking about, you know, the absolute freedom of having these images, you know, boiling in a pot, you know, the infatuation with the creative or the creativity but it doesn't go anywhere until you give it form. That is limits, the limits of a genre, the limits of a story, uh, the limits of a person with a name and a place and uh, the limits of continuity. Like that's what makes the story. And by contrast, I see, you know, this cult like thinking uh, uh, that is defying the limits of the body and defying the limits of culture, the good limits, you know, the good fences that people have put up. They're always trying to break the limits just for the lulls or because they're trying to heal from some kind of trauma or both. And it's Gnostic, man. You know, you, you're trying to get rid of the body, but God has given you a body. He has made you an embodied person, gentle listener, for his good purpose. We just celebrated Jesus becoming an embodied man forever and ever, valuing his material creation and us as his embodied children so much that he limited himself to that form. Jesus is a human being forever and ever to this day. That's what we mean by the incarnation. That's what we mean by resurrection. So it's, you know, from the guild to other means of transforming the internet, uh, I think that is a way of defying uh, the the technotopia, which actually turns into a technodystopia, uh, and having an eye toward uh, the utopia, the perfect world that Jesus himself is going to bring. Uh, the perfect resurrected savior who is limited as a human, but also unlimited as God. The only way we get both of those together in the same person. That actually perfectly leads to our second sponsor for this episode. Speaking of the techno zombies and all of that, that is just the subject of T.E. Bradford's novel, Awakened. Here is the back cover from Awakened. What if your worst enemy was your only hope? What if saving your life meant destroying your beliefs? How far would you go to survive? Manufactured anodic commandos, or MACs, were designed for battle. Most people believe sending robotic soldiers into combat is better than risking human lives. But Kara has seen what happens when unfeeling, soulless automatons decide who lives and who dies. Machines don't care whether the enemy is holding a rake instead of a gun, or that a six-year-old girl watches from a bedroom window. All they know is what they were programmed for. Destruction. When Kara finds herself wounded and defenseless in the middle of a battle zone, she has no choice but to use the only weapon she can find, a disabled MAC. Without him, she won't make it out alive. With him, she might come out a different person. Will hate destroy her, 
Or will the natural love of a creator for its creation open her eyes to a truth that changes everything? Get the complete description, the cover, and the purchase link in our show notes for episode 94, as well as at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsored. What a perfectly placed sponsor there talking about digital armies. And now we're talking about digital armies in the, in the fiction world. All right. Well, let's go to number six. And this was an article that you wrote, Stephen. Behold the fantastic purposes of the chosen and other great biblical fiction. And I'm going to go ahead and quote you here. You wrote this quote. Christians are feeling inspired, confused, fearful, delighted, and challenged because of one biblical fiction TV series, The Chosen. However, the idea of biblical fiction also raises many questions among Christians. For example, I've seen many questions in The Chosen fan forums uh, that are now growing in popularity since the series started gaining fans around Easter 2020. After fans read biblical fiction books or watch biblical fiction films, they ask, what type of story is this? How does it differ from scripture? Should Christians cause, should these differences cause us alarm? What about Christians who might confuse reality and fiction? End quote. And so, Stephen, those are great points. Now, I'm curious, how did you answer those? How did responses to this article uh, give you some answers? So this was part one of a um, ultimately five-part series that I called Discerning Biblical Fiction. Uh, it proved quite popular, especially part one, uh, which uh, got shared in one or two of the chosen fan forums. I think it helped more people uh, than it confused. I think it was a learning curve for most people just asking the questions. I, I really think that this is more of an issue, not so much with the chosen or biblical fiction in general, but about a flawed perception of the purpose of stories that Christians just can't help but persist in. Uh, we've got this barrier between the Monday through Saturday entertainment and the Sunday sacred stuff. Uh, biblical fiction refuses to get limited to either one of those, and so it breaks down the categories. I say well broken, uh, not because we don't want limits, as we were talking about earlier, but because the purpose of fiction must be defined according to Scripture. And as I explore in part one here specifically, we must go to God's purpose in creating humans to understand why he also gives humans the gifts of imagination and making stories in general, stories and culture and art and all that good stuff before sin makes it often bad stuff. We have to understand the purpose of this. Then we can talk about the purpose of stories like fantasy, science fiction and beyond or biblical fiction. Uh, but we shouldn't assume that we know the purpose of biblical fiction. It's to get the pagan neighbors saved. It's to teach the kids. Uh, it's to faithfully present scripture, only instead of being words on a page, you actually see people walking around in togas. Uh, you get confused then about why you even need a TV show in the first place when the written word of God is sufficient for us to pursue Christ in the gospel. But stories are also a gift that we receive from God. Uh, we subsist on Christ, the bread of life. That doesn't mean that we also don't use physical, ordinary bread. And by the way, Jesus insists on us enjoying both. We wouldn't understand that he is the bread of life if we didn't have the experience of ordinary bread. So it is, I think, with stories. Uh, stories that are false, that is fictional, uh, that's a way that we can understand the Bible, which is true. But you train up, you train up to understand true stories like the Bible by appreciating fictional stories, which in the case of The Chosen and other biblical fiction are also about the Bible. Okay, so I want to read a comment that I found on one of your articles in this series. 
and this is, and I want to see what you think about this. Uh, cause I, I don't remember you, you might've answered this on Facebook, but I just don't see a reply here on the article. So this is from someone called drew and chick who, uh, commented quote, what do you think of the general concerns some people have about representing Christ in any visible way, which can lead people to soft idolatry. The issue is I've seen it stated is thus. If seeing a painting of Jesus or watching a movie about Jesus causes the viewer to feel more connected to Jesus or in some way more drawn to Jesus, does this not constitute a violation of the second commandment? And that the physical description of our Lord is a worship aid, an image, and as such generates a false worship via the imagery, the eyes, instead of a true worship via faith in the heart. End quote. So what do you think? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna solve that next week inside of twenty five minutes for episode ninety five of Fantastic <laughs> Truth. <laughs> I, I hadn't planned on doing that, but you know that is a great question, and I'd I'd want to get you know a bucket load of theologians in here to hash this out. I've hashed this out for myself, so your mileage may vary, and maybe that's why I missed that question. Now, I, now I kind of want to go back and write at least a few paragraphs about it. Uh, I can say personally that I myself do not come from a tradition of icons, uh, a, a tradition that could confuse what some people say is the respect or love they feel for Jesus as, what do we want to say here, Zach? Not mediated, but, but um, mitigated, like aided in some way by an icon. I'm trying to steel man my position here and, and not open up the discussion too widely. But I, I think the best version of it is like a, a Catholic or somebody from a Christian tradition says, you know, I've, I've got a statue of Jesus or, or I've, I've got the little crucifix, you know, with the, with, the little, with the little wooden Christ hanging on it. You know, when I look at it, I'm not worshiping the object, this person says, not worshiping it. I'm thinking about the real life sacrifice just as I would if I were sitting in church and I got the bread and the juice. You know, I'm not worshiping these elements. It is a thing that helps me to glorify the real Jesus. Now, that's the best version of that. I think there's a lot of Christians who've grown up with the worst version of that. You know, uh, you know, Grandma Kathleen, you know, who's, who's Catholic, you know, who's literally praying to the statue of Jesus uh, or, or worse, you know, going a step further and then praying to a statue of a saint or Mary. Um, I think that there are some Christians who say that and they go, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So they become, in a sense, iconoclasts, which is the, uh, the Protestant Reformation era term of you literally go around, you're smashing the icons. I get it, but I don't have that issue. So I can understand that someone would have that issue, not with a statue of Jesus, but with a picture of Jesus in a coloring book or a little baby Jesus uh, in a nativity scene or in an actor who dresses up and does a great job portraying Jesus in a series like The Chosen or a movie like Risen. I can understand that issue. I don't have it. That in no way makes me want to sin by idolatry any more than usual. Uh, whether that's a second commandment violation, I would say it is not automatically a second commandment violation because at the time of the Ten Commandments, God is saying, you do not make an image to worship that image instead of me. I cannot be seen. You cannot see my face. God wants to get it through to his people that he is holy. He cannot be looked at. And I would add there, unless. And the unless is if God himself incarnates the second person of the Trinity always existent. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on, the Apostle Paul writes that he is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the imago of God. Christ represents God. He is God. That, I think, is the exception. God puts a face on himself, on his own terms, in his own way. 
the incarnation does not overthrow the second commandment, but I think it does add some grounds for discussion. Uh, if I was to look at Jesus now, if he were to come back tomorrow before any more pandemic and I was to bow down and worship him, I am in no way breaking the second commandment. Now, what if in the new heavens and new earth, I take a photo of Jesus with my new earth smartphone? I need to write about this. This is an interesting thought exercise or short story. I take a photo of Jesus with my smartphone and I've gone off to another planet for the new earth colonization project in the year 30,000 A.D.D., or whatever we're going to call it after Christ returns. If I cannot see Jesus in physical form in front of me and I look at a picture of him, am I going to worship him? No way. I'm made perfect there in the new heavens and new earth. No possibility of me doing that. Is there a possibility of me doing that now? If I had a photo of Jesus from the first century that's, you know, perfectly captures him, am I going to be tempted? Is it going to be a sin? I don't think so. But then can a photo really represent him? Well, can a man really represent him? You know, I think mm. some of that, some of that gets into, I think many Christians are more comfortable with thinking of God as, you know, more distant and omnipotent and, you know, pure spirit, like the father is, you know, or the, or the Holy Spirit who is communicated mainly through symbols and actions. Uh, I need to end here because it could get far afield. Yeah. Uh, the short answer that, yeah, th this, it doesn't bother me to see somebody dress up and portray Christ. Because uh, I know it's not him. It's not a picture. It's not a statue. It doesn't have that stigma to me. If it does for you, don't watch the show. I, I don't want you to sin any more than usual. And I don't think the makers of The Chosen would want you to sin any more than usual. You know, I noticed a thing in myself whenever I would watch these behind-the-scenes things with the actor that plays Jesus. And I would get this funny feeling like, no, I don't want to know him as the actor. I just want to see him be Jesus. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. That's there the whole point of the yes, behind the scenes that's thing. That's a great point. It's to break that, you know, sense of like seeing him actually as Jesus. Like I need to remember that this is a regular guy and he's doing a great job. And he's a Catholic to be Jesus, guy too. But he's not Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate your point, Stephen, that, you know, the show isn't automatic idolatry, but it could be, d depending on who you are as a person, your background, your inclinations. Um, I, I think there's some very obvious ways it could become idolatry. Like if we're, if you're watching it and you hit pause when you see Jesus and then you pray to the, uh, you know, the image on the screen or on your app or whatever, um, or if you print out images from the show and you, you pray to those, I mean, that would be very obvious. But I keep going back to what Drew, Drew and Chick asked, is this soft idolatry? And um, I think you've answered that pretty well, Stephen, that, you know, first of all, we have to remember that God incarnated himself. So he, he put himself in the form of a physical man. Limits, and like to, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so we have to kind of keep that in, in context. But um, I think what that does is it does give us permission for people to portray Jesus in a film. Or what about? What about in your church? Have you ever been in church when someone, you know, did like a live drama of, of Jesus doing something, you know, cause I can think of, um, one very specific time when I was in college and there was a, a play that someone did, um, of Jesus and it has stuck with me for 20 something years now. Um, now that, but I don't think that that led to idolatry at all. And and you could even take it a step further. What about someone doing a dramatic reading of Jesus' words or even just reading them out loud? Like, am I using that person as a worship aid? I don't think so. Like, I, it's, it, I am 
thinking of the actual Jesus in my heart. I mean, it is a heart issue, so it, it's it really is kind of hard to discern this at some point. And I I think we, we shouldn't judge ourselves too harshly. We we can't know our our true motives with everything, but I I think the fact that God incarnated Himself it it really does come back to that, and we are sort of just retelling that incarnation through dramatic acting and reading. Exactly. I think you've gotten close to my secret debate ender on this debate. I, I think it is a debate ender uh, because there, there's a group of Christians and uh, let's just give them the nickname Ralvinists. And I am kind of a Ralvinist myself. <laughs> so, you know, some of them are like uh, I've literally had people tell me, well, when I read the Bible uh, and I read what Jesus is going on, no, I'm not imagining it. I don't get pictures in my mind. I don't want to be that type of person. I don't want to idolatry. Like, and, and my first response is, yeah, that's not true. Everyone has an imagination, but maybe they've trained them out, trained that out of themselves. And that's not a healthy place to be. I would call that Gnostic, actually. And some of them will say, well, there are no physical descriptions of Jesus in the Bible. Not true. Revelation 19. His hair is on fire. He's shooting a sword from his mouth. He's kind of got ink and he wears a robe. And I believe it gives the color of the robe. And like, yes, there are physical pictures of Jesus in the Bible. If you cannot read that without imagining it, you are not reading the Bible properly. That I don't think is the debate ender. The debate ender is the objection that, well, if you're watching an actor dress up as Jesus and pretend to be Jesus and saying things that Jesus would say, then you're looking at a flawed performance of Jesus. You don't want a flawed imitation of Jesus. Uh, You want the perfect Jesus. That's the only thing you're supposed to look upon and worship. My debate ender is this. If that's your objection to someone who's pretending to be Jesus and getting it wrong sometimes, then look in the mirror. Christ has given his image to us, to his people, and commanded us to imitate him. It's not about physical description. Uh, It's about action and it's about behavior. The very term Christian implies, more than implies, that Christ's adopted daughters and sons are supposed to imitate him in a way we're supposed to image him. And we obviously get it wrong. We also are tempted often to worship ourselves, so that's not good. But the worship of ourselves does not overthrow the call to behave like Jesus, to impersonate him. When I see an actor on a show doing that, I know what that is. That is an impersonation. That is a performance. A little bit different than trying to behave like Jesus 24-7. This guy's doing it professionally as part of a, a artistic performance. But I think the parallels are pretty much exact. Uh, and I think that your view of worship of Jesus ties in with your view of sanctification there. Uh, it's got to be one or the other. I, I think you're right, Zach, that incarnation messes up our categories there. So let's go now to uh, number five on this list. We're moving into the top five now. We'll try to go a little bit more quickly because we got waylaid into the two CV issues. I'm kind of glad we did, though. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great little high point there. Yeah. Uh, number five here is Marion Jacobs' article, No. Story should not wreck you, the reader. And that last phrase there is in a quote. Uh, Marion had gotten a hold of an author on Twitter who was bragging about how her purpose or his purpose, I think the, uh, the exact uh, gender there was a little bit confused. Uh, the author was trying to wreck you, the reader. And they were using that as a, a kind of a solution for times when this author felt discouraged or felt like creativity was pointless. Oh, well, that's okay because I get to wreck people for fun. As Marion says in her article, quote, in 2013, I had just given birth to my second child. Pregnancy insomnia hit me hard and never left. When my daughter was still a newborn, a friend let me borrow Divergent. 
Before long, I was completely engrossed. I read day and night when I was up nursing the baby. And in those wee hours of the morning, pages turned, my mind raced, and I got even less sleep. My anxiety already bordered on PTSD after my husband and I suffered a near-fatal car accident, and now it soared to new heights. So after reading the first two books in the series, I stopped. Divergence, sexual content, and teen angst already violated my personal standards, but I had to stop reading for another reason. Regardless of the author's intent, the books seemed to be written to hurt me by making me even more anxious. End quote. We're going to put that link in the show notes uh, as well as the link to her sequel. We ended up grouping those as a two-part series called Stories Can Help Us Heal. We weren't able to get in touch with Marion to get any updated thoughts from her, but we did have her on Fantastical Truth uh, soon after part two released at lorehaven.com. Part two was called Yes, Stories Should Help Heal You, the Reader. Here's what she said in that piece, quote, I made it clear I believe authors may not know the harm their stories cause. Authors can wield tension in good ways for the reader's good or in bad ways against a reader's good. My own readers responded differently to that piece. Some agreed. Others thought I was criticizing all books with high-running tension or dark themes. Because of this misunderstanding, I have spent the last several months reassessing how to better communicate this idea. We can't simply jump into heated discussion about story tension. First, we need to go back a few thousand years and scrutinize the story of one man whose life held more tension than we will ever face. Job. End quote. I think, of course, going back to see how the Bible handles such narrative tension is a great place to start. You know, Stephen, this article really informed something I'm going through recently, which is my hopeful angst while watching the Wheel of Time adaptation, which we're going to talk about in an episode later. But there was a comment from the showrunner uh, that almost mirrored this original comment that Marion was talking about. And I'm, I'm trying to find it. I, I may not be able to pull it up. But basically, the showrunner was asked about these characters that have been killed off in the show. And he made a comment like, oh, yes, I hope to torture you and I hope to you know, wreck you with, with so all these character deaths. Trope. So yeah, tired of that and, showrunner trope. Ugh. Yeah. And I'm just like, but why? Like, why is that good? Like, why do you delight in, you know, making people upset? Like, and, and but and then but even Zach, weirder, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Yeah. Can't you take a joke? <laughs> and then even weirder was the people cheering that on, like, oh yeah, that was amazing. And I'm so in tears and I'm just, oh, I'm I'm destroyed. I'm like taking aside the fact that the show breaks canon, which is what Shane and I are going to get into later. You know, why do you want to experience that? It, it's just bizarre to me. Um, so I, I, yeah, I really liked all of what Marion had to say about this topic. Yeah, definitely read those two articles. I, I actually view this as not only an annoying trope, uh, and, and that kind of nod towards grim, dark, and even nihilism or nihilism, however you pronounce it. But I think for the Christian, uh, this is a kind of simulated blasphemy. We do not live in a world where people die and then we're just torn up and tortured. And by the way, our glibness, when even we say things like that as fans, kind of gives away the game. We're all just play acting here. We're not actually tortured. Or if we are, we're enjoying it. And then you get into some really dark stuff. You don't want to find pleasure in pain. God has given us a world in which we must go through pain, yes, but in order to get to ultimate happiness in, you know, the King Jesus we were talking about earlier, uh, the one who puts an end to the groaning earth and transforms the planet to be his 
personal kingdom. That's the happy end that we're looking for. That is the realism that we're looking for. And yeah, maybe there's a little common grace in the idea of finding hope in death and suffering and torture, but not in the thing itself. We are not Gnostics. We do not deny the body. We do not deny that these things are terrible. And by the way, I think people who pretend that they're celebrating the deaths of characters and, you know, delighting in how bad they feel about being tortured and all that, uh, they give away the game. There are some things that are too serious for them to be glib about as well. Uh, why don't we just take that seriously? I, and I would much rather just get rid of these cliches uh, and and get rid of the hall pass that we give the showrunners to act like it's okay to joke about making readers or fans feel bad. Because some people really do take this seriously. They mm -hmm. feel bad, and I, I don't think it's great to egg that on, uh, even if you're trying to get clicks or hits or views or copies sold or whatever. Yeah. I, I just think that this attitude of showrunners or authors, it's sort of the Loki instinct of just that. Tricks to God. <laughs> That's I true. You. Yeah, and, yeah. And so I, I've just become, I've just come to recognize it for what it is. And it's a, it's a disordered impulse to want to jerk people around like that. I, I don't know. It's, it, it, there's something really unhealthy about it. And there's something unhealthy about uh, a fan wanting that experience. It's just, um, I, I don't know. It, it's very glib, like you said, but well, let's move on to, <laughs> that's all I want to say about that. Let's move on to uh, number four in this list. This was a page and th oddly enough, it was a, the page to download back issues of Lorehaven magazine. And uh, on the, from the new about page on our website, it says, quote, does Lorehaven offer a print magazine? When we started Lorehaven in 2018, we offered a quarterly print magazine. Free subscribers could download PDF copies or purchase print copies from a third-party vendor. We showcased these products at homeschool and writers' conferences. Then everything changed when the 2020 and beyond pandemic lockdowns uh, attacked. In 2021, we shifted away from quarterly print issues and moved to a monthly all-digital model. Anyone can still subscribe to updates, yet anyone can read our articles, news, reviews, and other content. We feel this open access approach is the best way to grow interest in excellent Christian-made fantastical novels. You can find our 12 magazines, including nine PDF versions, archived here. And we will include that link in the show notes. Yeah, we, we, I think that was the best decision. Uh, the PDFs kind of make these stories, which we want to see grow more popular, the good ones anyway. Uh, it, it kind of effectively makes those even further into a niche interest. And I still love the work that we did uh, with the print issues. I've, I've got nine of those actively printed out, gracing my shelves at home. And, uh, and many hundreds of those copies found their way to happy readers, especially at events like Realm Makers or some of the homeschool conferences uh, we were able to attend since uh, the year 2019. But when everything changed, when the Fire Nation, or rather when the lockdowns attacked, <laughs> uh, that's kind of insurmountable. Uh, I was talking in our last episode, Zach, uh, the one where you were uh, off uh, recovering from the conference, I was talking about that uh, similarly, we had to kind of effectively do a seasonal closure for speculative faith just because the volunteer base dried up. Like everybody has to go work extra hard at their day job, you know, or, or you know, Travis or somebody, you know, has to get deployed or whatever it is he's doing, you know, taking care of his family and doing his job as under the Lord. Um, we can only work with the resources we're given. And in that case, it seemed like providentially God may have been saying, yeah, let's not do the print issues right now. We got other stuff going on. 
Uh, and now, of course, we're nearing the 100th episode of the podcast, uh, which has been a, a fantastic way to grow our reach and build interest in these stories. Uh, and we've just opened the Guild as well, which is a more immediate way uh, to connect with people. And yet you can still find those PDF copies at lorehaven.com. I will include that link in the show notes. Yeah, we did we did 12 issues from 2018 to the end of 2020 uh, in, in that more magazine format, uh, but we were only able to print out nine of those. So kind of unfinished business there, but of course all the content is available not only in PDF form, uh, but in individual articles. That includes all of my editor's notes, uh, all the articles, interviews we did uh, with authors, and then every single review that we've made. Uh, now I think a plural hundreds of those uh, going back to early 2018. You know, it's funny that this was the number four most clicked uh, page this whole last year because I, I've kind of like, this is a little inside baseball, y'all, but like I, I've kind of poked at Steven like, hey, maybe we should take that off the menu bar because like... I've I mean, thought about from, it. I have. It, it, it's a couple years old now, so you know, maybe it's time to move on. But I mean, you're right. I totally agree with you. Those were really beautifully produced magazine issues. and it, But it's, you know, I think it speaks to... Okay, I don't know exactly why everyone's going there or if they're downloading PDFs, but it makes me wonder if people are printing them off uh, on their own or, or something like that, or they just want to have the larger format like on a tablet or something like that. And if that's what's happening, I mean, it makes sense because we, we've all kind of been digitaled out <laughs> the last couple of years. And I think it's nice to have something tangible um, or at least something in a, a longer format than just you know, what you see on your phone screen or something like that. And, and that's actually what's, what's interesting is because you really can't read these PDFs on a phone unless you have a phablet, I guess. But um, I, I think it speaks to people wanting more long form, rich content than they typically get online. Um, and so uh, I, that's cool. That, that's great that they're still, you know, getting around. Agreed. Oh, Zach, we're going to have to be very disciplined. Uh, speaking of limits on one's own creativity, we're having to be disciplined uh, going into number three here. So now I'm moving <laughs> into the top three pages at lorehaven.com throughout the year 2021. This was Mike Duran's first of two appearances. This was his article, Militant Secularism Could Force Christians to Create New Subcultures. That was the title of this article. I found this very interesting because I've actually watched Mike slowly change his mind, as he says here, to give away the ending of this excerpt. And here's what he means by that. Quote, I've long applauded Christian artists engaging mainstream culture. It's why I write my Reagan Moon paranormal thriller novels for the general market and no longer publish content labeled Christian fiction. It's also why I've taught workshops for Christian authors about writing for the general market. It's why I've blogged about the Christian crossover novelist. And it's why I've asked is writing in the general market less of a ministry than writing for Christians? But as much as I'm an advocate for Christian influencers in secular circles, I've lately found myself wondering if it isn't, in fact, time for a new Christian subculture, or to put it another way, a tactical withdrawal. So what caused me to change my mind? Let me explain. End quote. I'm not going to explain. I'm going to let him explain. Get that link in the show notes. I'm going to end it on a cliffhanger here on purpose. I, of course, as Lorehaven Publisher, had a hand in uh, editing this piece, and Mike and I have had a lot of great conversations about this. Of course, he kind of give away, uh, gives away the answer there a little bit in the title. Militant secularism could force Christians to create new subcultures. 
I think it's a fascinating topic to explore. And Zach and I, uh, Zach and I have certainly explored it on the podcast when we were talking with uh, uh, Esther O'Reilly, uh, the code name for Bethel McGrew, uh, who agrees with us uh, that there is sometimes a time for tactical withdrawal, uh, especially some of you Christian creators out there. If you're going on about how we don't need Christian blah, 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 we just need Christians in the secular market doing blah, blah, blah. Um, that's last year's hand-me-down rhetoric. Um, I think that works. If it did in a previous iteration of this culture, it will decreasingly work now. Get with the times. I think you're on the wrong side of this popular cultural history. Uh, that doesn't mean we withdraw and go into our caves and our bubbles. Like, you know, we don't like that anymore uh, than we should. Uh, but it does mean uh, that we must be wise and strategic. Uh, going back to or number 10 there, like Duke Leto, Joshua uh, DeGraff says, uh, we must be noble and loving to our neighbors, yet also shrewd as serpents. You know, I find myself of two minds about this sometimes, because I, speaking of Dune, what I loved about Dune was how in the book and sort of in the movie, you've got this character, um, Hawat, that's always quoting the Bible, you know, and, and it's sort of like a future version of the Bible that's probably been changed in some ways. But, um, you know, it's still interesting to see that in a general market sci-fi. And so I, I love finding things like that. You know, I would love to create something like that or whatever. But at the same time, you know, it is, like you mentioned, it's this militant secularism that is uh, putting a lot of pressure on us to kind of rethink our strategy. And I'd like to offer an analogy for what I see happening. A few months ago, uh, there was this uh, really explosive post in my neighborhood Facebook group where uh, a neighbor complained about someone writing a Bible verse in chalk on the sidewalk in front of uh, their house. And so this neighbor said, you know, why would someone write this? Was it about the Levite and his concubine, the concubine <laughs> getting cut up into 12 bits and sent to right. each of the tribes of Israel in Judges 19? So that was the first question that people asked this neighbor, like, well, you know, what did it say? And, and it was basically like, oh, no, it was uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, gosh, wait, give me a second, because I don't want to butcher it. You'd think I'd have this memorized because it was one of the first verses. Well, I have I the Levi and his concubine verse memorized. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to bless I don't know what audience. to think about that. In the original uh, King James. <laughs> I, I may want to keep this part in because that is just so funny. Um, so it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which you as the listener probably uh, have memorized. I thought I had it memorized, but then I started to recite it and I needed to look it up. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and do not rely on your own understanding. understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I think I hey, I've memorized it. There. I just realized. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, kind of a, <laughs> kind of a portmanteau of translations there. Yeah. Um, by the way, a little inside baseball about my head. I'm trying to read and memorize in the CSB now because it's what we've given our kids and I, I always flub it because I can't, I can't think in CSB anymore. We're or, all going to have, yet. at least all American evangelicals are going to have a little NIV in there, whether we <laughs> like it or not. You catch it in the air. Yeah. So, okay. When, when that neighbor quoted that verse, well, this was the verse. Everyone was like, oh, there, there were a lot of people like, oh, I can't believe that. How dare someone write the Bible on the sidewalk and, you know, and intimidate you with that. And I kind of looked at this like, really? Like you're people are intimidated by this. And so I, so I asked the neighbor, it's not like, mine comfy guys. was it? Yeah. Wow. I was like, was it written? Okay. Which direction was it written? Was it written 
facing your house or was it written facing people walk on the sidewalk? And they said, well, it was written in the sidewalk direction. So it was written for people walking by. And so my response was, well, I, I don't think it, it was like an attack on you in any way, or it wasn't even about you. It was about people walking by. And they said, okay, well, maybe so, but why did they have to write it in front of my house? And I'm like, this is the most like get off my lawn thing I've ever read. And it's just crazy. But what was really crazy, Stephen, was how out of control this thread got. Man, there were there were people mm-hmm. really like bashing Christianity, the Bible, Christians, the church, blah, 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 taking out all their angst of whatever they've gone through in their life. And finally, the, the moderators had to shut it down. And yeah, th- that is the militant secularism that Mike is talking about, that, that there are people that are just, man, they're vehement about their animosity towards Christians, the Bible and Christ. And so I think it is worth considering sometimes that, you know, gosh, I, I, I can't get away from this term. Like we need to create a safe space <laughs> for Christians, but that's well, not, not really safe, my, not safe, yeah. but good. Uh, there I'm, we go. I'm hawking our t-shirts again in our land, which in order of book quest, not safe. That was the problem with our previous iterations of the subculture. We wanted to make it safe. That is not a biblical concept. That is an alien term, but good. God is good. He like Aslan, the picture of Christ is not safe, but he is good. He's not tame, but he is good. Yeah. Now I, I obviously, you know, I'm in the business of evangelism and missions. And so I think we absolutely need to go out in the world and preach the gospel and have outposts. I think really what Mike has gotten me to think about is how much we need to build up our home base. Because, you know, the strength of your outreach is only, is, uh, is only as strong as the strength of your inreach and your, your foundation. And so, um, yeah, I think this is a call to really beef up the church with better culture. You know, not just good teaching, good worship, like good music. We've done all that. But we need a stronger culture from which to disciple ourselves, our families, uh, new converts, and really give them that. Uh, that foundation before they go out in the world. And I think we've perhaps neglected that. And and so when we think of Christian culture, we think, oh, it's so cheesy and it's all this garbage and all this kitschy kind of stuff. Well, that's the reason why we need more and better Christian subculture. That is no longer even the dominant variety of Christian subculture. Again, I think sometimes our pictures are stuck in the past. Yes, the cheesy t-shirts are still around. Yes, the corny youth groups are still around. But there's oh, not I just a lot got of... some commandments recently. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, there's there's not a lot of chain Christian bookstores still around, though. Like, you know, get your mind out of the past. Please catch up to the present. The dominant Christian subculture right now, almost assuredly, is politics. Politics, mm. politics, politics. We're stepping in it. It's getting all over. Uh, it's getting into every nook and cranny of our bodies. And no matter how many times we shower, we can't get it off. Like sometimes you've got to get your hands in the dirt. I'm not saying don't do politics. Obviously check my Facebook page. I'm doing it for sure. Even if it's not a whole lot on this podcast, but politics is a necessity. It, it's a duty. It's not, we're, we're not supposed to like it. Certainly not this much. And I would almost prefer the cheesy stuff. Like I, I, I hearken to the Halcyon days of the left behind series uh, and even the prairie romances and even more recently, the adult coloring book trend that kind of flared for a bit a few years ago. I'd much prefer that as as a harmless distraction compared with this endless obsession over politics. 
And that's the kind of subculture that Christians need. Like, I think some of that was an overcorrection to uh, this uh, this sheltered, you know, evangelical subculture. Well, like we we got our head stuck in the sand, you know, while the Supreme Court's going to bring down all these laws on our heads. So we got to get busy. But we also need recreation. We need stories, not just cheesy knickknacks to put up on the mantelpiece. But, you know, we kind of need those, too. Let's not be Gnostics about it. You know, we like nice stuff around our houses. We, we like, a you know, a, a, even a Thomas Kincaid painting with a Bible verse on it. You know, some of that stuff can be cheesy, but I just want a little bit of that along with the, a renewed emphasis on music, which we've still got plenty of music and good stories, which I think should include uh, the biblical Christians, native genre, fantasy, science fiction and beyond. Well, and that is why our number two most visited pages past year was our author resources page where authors can share their novels with new fans and find those fans through Lorehaven. And uh, basically this page kind of outlines what our website does and how we have new podcast episodes on Tuesdays, new reviews on Fridays, new articles, and news updates throughout the week, and you know how authors can submit their uh their book for a possible review or sponsor our podcast and just otherwise make themselves visible to fans that want to find them and so um yeah i think a lot of authors are realizing that that it's not enough just to market my book to other writers i need to find fans and readers of my book and that's what we're trying to do with this website we're trying to connect authors and readers and hey a lot of authors are readers like <laughs> we are big readers ourselves but, uh, you know, this is what we are trying to do. We're trying to grow this Christian subculture of reading. And so, um, yeah, it's no surprise that this was a big, a, a bigly visited webpage this past year. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I did a site redesign and ended up putting a lot of these disparate options together into one page. You can find that link in the show notes, but it's actually pretty easy to memorize. Lorehaven.com slash author dash resources. That's where you go, by the way, uh, to inquire about sponsoring this podcast, as well as requesting a Lorehaven review. It's free, but we got to we got to decide that we like the book and we, we only do positive reviews, mixed positive reviews, not to drag on a book, uh, not to do negative reviews, but to match the best kinds of books that we find with the readers who are most likely to enjoy them. Uh, you can also put graphic sponsorships on the website. Uh, we have a couple of image slots there. Uh, if you are an author or you know of a book that we don't already list in our Lorehaven library, that's where you go to add that book to the Lorehaven library. We have hundreds and hundreds of Christian-made titles listed in the library, and that's a free listing. Uh, you get a little social media share when we post it, and that's it. Uh, for more, you'd have to do more sponsorships. And of course, we have an open uh, question box there at lorehaven.com slash author dash resources. Great resource for you to check out if you've not already and you have a story to share. And our number one article at lorehaven.com in the year 2021, accepting the homepage, is once again from Mike Duran, who gets all of the toys. This number one article was titled Christian Publisher Bethany House Defends at Love's Command from Outraged Critics. Are you spying a trend of what our readers are eager to explore these days? And oh, what irony that a website devoted to Christian-made fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond would have as its top article in a single year a novel that is a historical romance. I actually appreciate that <laughs> irony just a little bit uh, yeah. because, again, like biblical fiction, like, well, I wouldn't call this a cousin genre, but it is in that more general Christian fiction issue, and it 
touches right up against that bigger issue of how Christians ought to understand and engage the popular cultural world around us. You got to read this whole piece, uh, which a lot of readers did and a lot of readers engaged with. Here is how it started from Mike Duran, quote, it's not often critics accuse a Christian historical romance novel of racism and glamorizing genocide, yet a vocal contingent of romance fans leveled these charges while demanding the Romance Writers of America, RWA, rescind its 2021 Vivian Award to his Christian historical fiction novelist Karen Wittemeyer for her novel At Love's Command. RWA voters awarded At Love's Command in the category of romance with religious or spiritual elements Days later, the association stripped Wittemeyer's book of its award. Why are critics hating at Love's Command? The controversy concerned the male lead, a cavalryman who participated in the Wounded Knee Massacre of Native American women and children, and his later search for redemption. At Love's Command portrays the protagonist as anguished about his actions and seeking atonement. Back in the real world, the mob offers no such forgiveness. End quote uh zach we had a really good podcast episode following up after this uh, actually with parker j cole who writes romance she's kind of our inside woman in that yeah. industry but she also loves fantasy and science fiction and she is bringing some fantastic imaginary herbal teas as castle tea keeper in the aforementioned lorehaven <laughs> guild so she is a woman of many talents as well as a podcaster on her own. Uh, she added a little bit of nuance to this issue, uh, talking about the romance writers of America who are trying to work however clumsily uh, around these sensitive issues of potential racism and the, the whiteness of romance novels. And I don't mean that in the political way. I don't mean that in the woke way. All I mean is that generally in the past, according to Parker, most romance novels have featured characters who are persons of pallor. You know, it's, there's not a whole lot of uh, ethnic or cultural diversity going on in the types of romance novels that sell in America. And so the RWA is now hyper attuned to this concern and then overcorrecting maybe, a little bit overcorrecting. You think, you know, it, it's so bad here, you know, that you cannot even have a protagonist who was tangentially involved with a massacre of Native Americans and is now heartbroken over it you know experiencing a christian-like journey of redemption as part of the romantic plot it's not enough that he's broken up over it you should not even go there and i think this this illustrates and i think mike and parker both captured this in their own ways uh, this illustrates the blindness to gospel themes of redemption uh, that exists in our world people have no idea about redemption and and gone by the way is the whole you do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. Moral relativism thing. Throw out your Christian apologetics textbooks that repeat that line. Your neighbors are not repeating that line. No. Your neighbors are enforcing laws that they made up for themselves and expecting you to do the same thing. That's the real world that we're in as Christian fans and as Christians altogether. Uh, we want to be realistic about the world, but then we also need to love our enemies, including the enemies who try to cancel us or cancel the authors or Christian pundits that we know and love, uh, including Karen Wittemeyer, uh, who eventually shared more personal responses to the cancellation. But from what I've read, uh, she did so with class and humility, and yet also mm -hmm. being very honest about the struggles that this brings. We're going to stay on top of issues like this. Uh, since then, we've seen examples of other Christian agents and authors who have been canceled just by trying to engage with the general market. 
Uh, that could eventually come to more Christian-oriented publishers as well, and we want to be ready for that and engage those issues with sensitivity. Uh, Mike got to engage this one here, and then we'll link to that in the show notes as well as our podcast episode following up uh, with our guest, uh, Parker J. Cole. Yeah, my main comment about uh, this article is that I think it gave a lot of people hope that even though there was this cancellation of this award, the publisher of this book stood behind the author and said, we're not going to unpublish this book. We're not going to denounce this author and, you know, feed her to the mob and give her up as a, a sacrificial lamb to appease their anger. Yeah. Props Um, to props to Bethany house there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that was very classy of them uh, to respond the way they did. And, you know, they, they stood up for her. Um, and so I, I think that is what a lot of people have been hungry for. They've just been hungry for courage, uh, because it was really, really clear that so many of the people attacking this book had not read it. Uh, you know, Parker, even Parker, uh, when she came on our episode, she'd only gotten to about the halfway point, uh, when we recorded, but she was like, it's really clear that this book is not glorifying genocide. Like anyone that says that has not read it. And, uh, and, and anyone who is complaining about it that has read it is obviously, um, not a Christian or not applying the gospel to their lives if they claim to be a Christian. And so, um, you know, just a total miss on the gospel and from the critics. And so, you know, Bethany house saw right through that and said, you know, this is not simply an attack on a story or an author or a book, this is an attack on the gospel. And we're going to stand for the gospel. We're not going to be ashamed of how the gospel can redeem the most horrible people. You know, that is the entire point of Christianity, in fact. <laughs> and you look at some of the heroes in Christianity. I mean, I just the whole time I'm thinking of the apostle Paul, you know, who was, who was there when the first uh, Christian was martyred, Stephen, and he made sure other Christians got martyred before he converted to Christianity. So, you know, props again to Bethany house and, and to, to Mike for writing this and bringing it to our attention. And, um, you know, I, I hope that that really encouraged people that read this article that yes, you can stand up to people that try to cancel you. And more importantly, it's, you can stand up for the gospel and and that's the most important point. Amen. Times top 10 to all of that. We'll look forward to seeing what the new year will bring. I hope a little bit more understanding of redemption and maybe a little bit more education about the purpose of stories. This literally reminds me of, God bless them, the ignorant evangelical who reads a story and then gets mad that someone lied to their parents. Even if the next 18 chapters is about the someone learning a lesson, don't lie to your parents. You can't apply that kind of ethic to the Bible when you read it, although some atheists and or ex-evangelicals do oh no there was genocide in here like oh no somebody did a bad thing like that is such a a strange and bizarre and ultimately inhuman way to read a story Uh, that is not the purpose of fiction fiction is supposed to simulate reality and reality includes bad stuff as well as the happy stuff if you're expecting just the happy stuff you agree with in a story you are opposed to fiction. You want propaganda. In that case, you may as well just ignore fiction altogether and just listen to your politics, politics, politics. Once again, got the politics threatening to overwhelm everything. Uh, I think that that is uh, antithetical not only to the gospel, but to a holistic Christian understanding of art and storytelling in the first place. That leads me to our surprise bonus top 11 
uh, entry into this top 10 list. Uh, the actual top results, uh, the top page most viewed by Lorehaven readers in 2021 was, of course, the homepage, lorehaven.com. It's dot com. It is dot com. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, recently got a little bit of a facelift. Uh, I adjusted the motto a little bit, uh, just kind of added the word fantastical in there, uh, made things a little bit more consistent from a branding perspective, adjusted the menu a little bit, although obviously still leaving the magazine tab on there. Really want to put the guild tab up there, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, the menu is getting a little too crowded if we do that. This is the slightly adjusted Lorehaven mission statement. Lorehaven helps Christian fans explore fantastical stories for Christ's glory, fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. Articles, the library, reviews, podcasts, gifts, and the Lorehaven Guild community help fans discern and enjoy the best Christian-made fantastical stories, applying their meanings to the real world Jesus Christ calls us to serve. Subscribe free to get any updates you choose and to access the Lorehaven Guild. All those links at the very top of our show notes for this episode. You can also find us on the various social media. Just look for Lorehaven at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email us with any of your thoughts about any of these many topics in the top 10 list. Just email podcast at lorehaven.com. All right, so let's go to the comm station. And instead of reading uh, emails today, we are going to uh, give shout outs to people that join the guild. So when Catherine Jones Payne jumped in, Discord adds these little automatic things uh, that uh, someone named Bucklin uh, now noticed, which says, uh, you know, here's some pizza, Catherine, or something like that. And uh, well, it says, Welcome, Bucklin Hobbit. We hope you brought pizza. And then yeah. the automatic rotation also asked Catherine, welcome Catherine about Jones pizza. Payne. We hope you yeah. brought pizza. So Discord's hungry. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so I think you asked Stephen, like, why does it keep recommending pizza? And Catherine replied, cause it knows I'll bring pizza with pineapple as God intended. Oh boy. Did that light a fire? And Discord. so, yep, Titular Discord. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very, very, you know, friendly banter, but you know, you and, uh, someone named Captain Crypt Drayson reply, that's heresy. And uh, I replied with the, uh, you know, the Elrond quote, like, cast it into the fire. And just perfectly, Catherine posted the the gif of uh, Isildur saying, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I'm glad to see the my yeah. favorite heresy quote there is, is General Zod from Man of Steel saying, yes, heresy, you know, played by uh, Matthew <laughs> Shannon. And, uh, and the, the, the captain there, I'm the doctor, he's the captain. We've got all these honorific titles here or honorary titles. You know, he, he adds, uh, what is it? What, what is the gif, Jeff, whichever of like the, it's like the animated screen with all of the uh, mech soldiers swarming in front of it. And there's just on the screen, just blinking heresy, heresy, heresy. <laughs> I don't even know uh, what show that's from. It, it doesn't look like anime. It looks more like, uh, you know, like an American animation that's trying to be like anime. But anyway, Discord does allow gifts. Please post them not for Discord, but for Unity. Wait, what's the antonym of Discord? Po- positive chord? I don't know. But, Unicord. Accord. What? Accord. Accord. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yes. Now, see, that's the uh, that's the lame Christian knockoff for Discord is <laughs> Accord. You know, once Discord gets overrun by the woke bots and uh, starts canceling people, then we'll need the wholesome Christian alternative and it'll be Accord. called Accord TM and then yes. we'll get sued by the Honda Corporation. Oh, man. By the way, I was watching it. We actually uh, opened the guild doors, sent out the invites and everything on New Year's Day morning, January 1st, uh, Saturday. And I was watching the castle gates, uh, sitting there, sipping my, uh, sipping my latte, 
uh, in my monk robes uh, because my alter ego in the discord is that i am actually the most high reverend father of the holy order of the spoiler free monastery reopened after a long hiatus from its original narnie web days before the lion the witch and wardrobe movie released i'm watching the doors and in walks a chap called dr dave again another doctor we have a very intelligent populace of heroes at the guild he's the first civilian to enter the guild on new year's day and man this guy was just so happy to be there it was just uh, you just liven the place up even it was when it was just him echoes casting throughout the great hall he kind of reminded me of Barry Allen from Zack Snyder's Justice League, the only Justice League movie that released last year, by the way. Uh, it's like I go out there like uh, Bruce Wayne saying, you see, I'm putting together a team. I believe there's a war coming. And Dr. Dave is like, stop right there. I'm in. I need friends. <laughs> and what he actually said, though, was, and this is the first civilian comment in the guild, so preserve it for posterity. He said, quote, a happy new year a year full of God's infinite grace and goodness, health to you all, my brothers and sisters, end quote, perfectly capturing the tone that we want to have in the guild. Uh, I think the echoes are still spreading throughout these hallowed halls and walls. So Dr. Dave, appreciate you. I think it was actually the podcast that brought you into this august presence. Really appreciate you, Dr. Dave. Uh, good to have you. And by the way, surprise bonus, Dr. Dave is from Romania. So he has personally helped to kill some vampires uh, that are wandering through his backyard, sleeping in their native soil. And we appreciate your service, not only to the guild, uh, but for the cause of righteousness as, a, uh, as an adjunct member of the crew of light there in Romania, helping take care of the undead. And what a cool thing that we can talk to someone from Romania. You know, again, just hearkening back to my, remember when the internet was fun? That was always the coolest thing was to realize you're talking to someone from around the world and that, you know, that should never get old that, that we get to do that. So, uh, thanks Dr. Dave for joining and, uh, thank you, our listener. If you're a part of discord and if you're not, what are you waiting for? Jump on in and join us for the book quest of line, Witch in the wardrobe already in progress, not too late to join. Just subscribe free lorehaven.com. We'll send you the invite link. It'll be great. That's the positive side of fandom. But next on Fantastical Truth, we're going to talk about the heartache of fandom, the trauma, the suffering that people can go through, especially when certain showrunners decide that they're going to break canon because reasons. Zach, we're doing it. We're doing it. If we can get all of our scheduling done in time, we're going to talk about Wheel of Time, the TV show, the books, and the differences between them. Amazon, of course, over the Christmas holiday season, just concluded their season one for Wheel of Time, and they really want you to watch it and like it. Every time I went to Amazon to get anything, they're telling me, go watch Wheel of Time, go watch Wheel of Time. And I, like the Asildor gif, said no. <laughs> not just because it's bad, apparently, most fans don't like it, but because I'm just not familiar with the fandom. But you are, and you just watched the show, and I know you really wanted to like it. But you and our recent guest, Shane Morris, you're big Robert Jordan fans of the books, but the show is another matter. Together, you guys are going to explore how Christians can best respond when secular showrunners break canon and break fans' hearts. Meanwhile, whether you're in the Lorehaven Guild, keeping track of Lorehaven articles, news, reviews, podcasts, any of that, we are grateful to you. We, like Dr. Dave, want to wish you a happy new year and the best of health in God's grace. Do stay healthy out there, but in any downtime you have from disease or whatever, 
find some great stories. We'd love to help you find great stories, particularly at Lorehaven, the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond that we can find and help you explore these fantastical stories for God's glory as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. 